Welcome to the Pretty Crazy Podcast. It's week 43 and it's gonna be crazy. (laughs) We think it's week 43. Yeah, we think. We can't count. So this week, it was requested by Mr. Jason over here Yeah, to do Kurt Cobain's Weird Death. (laughs) Oh, Kurt Cobain. And um, why did you request Kurt Cobain? You know, because one of my artists, you know, mentions him in a song. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, they call me Cobain, first name Kurt. Why are you doing this in your, in your Raymond voice? Cause <laughs> I sing everything in my Raymond voice. Well, um, you should be saying this in your Nirvana voice. I can kill my cancer when. That's, that is such a bad, a bad impression. I feel weak. No, just never mind. Wait! No. You gotta get constipated with it. No. You gotta get constipated. I can't, I can't do, you can't I can do only do ZZ Top. Okay, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So, um, most of the people my age or older yeah. were alive for, Yeah. I mean, all of the people well, my age Well, I wasn't older. older than you, so. Well, Okay. But then people who are younger than us, they yes. they know about Nirvana sometimes. Yes. But like we were We're not talking about the religion. We're talking about the band. <laughs> well, not the, the religious place. We're talking about the band. Yeah. Just to clarify. People probably know more about Nirvana the band than Nirvana the religious idea. Yes. Um, but just because, you know, this is a rehash of events. I'm going to go through Kurt Cobain's life. Okay. Um, because some things like maybe you don't know. Yeah. Let's, let's go through his life. Let's yeah. see. Let's see how he lived and the reason, how he rocked, man, <laughs> how he rocked. And the reason that we're doing this is because everybody knows that Kurt Cobain committed suicide at age 27 in 1994. Yeah. But there's some questions about that. There are, aren't there? <laughs> so we will get to that. Um, but I wanted to do the whole story normal and then we'll jump, we'll put our tinfoil hats on and jump directly into conspiracy. Oh, yes, we will. (laughs) Tinfoil on. Um, so I do want to say that most of my information came from, uh, Wikipedia, but everything had sources and all the sources seemed to match what I remembered. I mean, granted I was five in 94, but like my mom is a huge Nirvana fan. Yeah. And everything seemed to click with what you've remembered yeah what i remembered and then like what people have said it just it and like i lived it so it makes sense yeah um but yeah wikipedia has all of the sources listed so if you want to go on there it's it's a it's an interesting read but this is kind of something that everybody knows but it's kind of compiled in a certain way and then the second half of the episode the conspiracy part um is directly from a documentary called soaked in bleach which i will talk about in a bit Okay. But yeah, so this part's all from Wikipedia, so you can read up as much as you want. You can go down rabbit holes, do your thing. Yeah, because I mean, like, 
it's just about his life. Yeah. It's not, it's not like. This is like factual gonna, about his life. They're going to lie about his life. Well, maybe they would. Well, I mean. There are some things that are a little fuzzy. It's not like he banged Courtney Cox or anything. Like anything famous like that, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. Fudge. Courtney Love, not Courtney Cox. Oh, some Cox. <laughs> you got the wrong Courtney. I got too many Cox. There's no, there's only one Cox and it didn't even happen. <laughs> I know. Okay, so um, Kurt Cobain was born in Aberdeen, Washington in 1967. Okay. Um, so he's two years older than my mom. Okay. Um, and at 14, Kurt got his first guitar and he eventually began writing his own songs after doing some cover songs, obviously. Yeah. Um, and he actually played as a lefty. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So did he have a left-handed guitar? Did you see that? Or did he play a right-handed guitar lefty? I'm not sure. I, I feel like he didn't have a lefty guitar. I think it was just a right Because guitar. lefty guitars are rare. But he did write with his right hand because he was forced to. Oh, that would make sense. Like, if you're, if you're a writer, you would write down with your... Right. Yeah. But, I mean, a lot of write, writers still write with their right hand and, you know, pick pick with your right yeah, hand. Yeah, it's interesting. Have a pen still. Um, so in 1985, uh, Kurt Cobain formed a band called Fecal Matter. Yeah. Um, that is so teen. <laughs> right? Like, so <laughs> 1980s. You know, <laughs> let's call it shit stain or something like that. No, 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 no. It has to be Fecal Matter, guys. <laughs> fecal Matter. And it was right after he dropped out of um, high school whenever he did that. Um, and then soon after... It disbanded in 86. Huh, disbanded. <laughs> Just lodged. Disbanded. Um, he met uh, Chris no- Novoselic um, and got him to join in with his band. Yeah. Um, now, in the documentary I watched, they said they had like a shit ton of different names. Haha, <laughs> shit ton. Yeah. Um, different names like Penchucap and Bliss. But eventually they ended up with a band named Nirvana. Oh, why'd they choose that? Um, he was a pretty spiritual dude. Okay. He liked like the Buddhist and he was Christian and stuff. So he liked to kind of mix them together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, Buddhist, if you think about it, is just a very peaceful religion. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if, even if you incorporate that into a regular, you know, like secular type of. Yeah. I think if, if, if you take teachings from one religion and incorporate them into another religion, yeah. there's nothing. Like Buddhism is just one of those ones that's very like self-reflecting. Yeah, meditation. Meditating, yeah. calm. Um, that you can incorporate into. Except a lot for when of they other... self-immolate and stuff, you know, that's not so calm. Um, <laughs> well, that's that's just a form of protest. Yeah, or whenever so, they reach self-actualization. Yeah, but we're not talking about. We're that not today. talking about that today. Um, just let it burn, like Usher. <laughs> so they started touring together, um, but. This Nirvana was not bringing in crowds um, very well. Okay. Um, and they had a rotating list of drummers. So a guy named Chad Channing joined the group. Ooh. And they released the album Bleach in 1989. Ooh. This album didn't do well. No. <laughs> um, he was fired, but he was replaced by Dave Grohl. Oh, well, some guy named Dave Grohl. Which, if anybody knows anything about alternative rock um he was later part of queens of the stone age and um the foo fighters what if i say i'm not like the others 
what if I say? Was that his audition into Nirvana? And then they're like, no, 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 you can't sing. You just play the drums. Well, in Queens of the Stone Age, he was a drummer too, right? Yeah. He I was just he was. a singer. In the I don't know why. Like, if if he could sing like that, like, so that's. It's a, it's it's a different type it's of a different, sound. Though. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked with no Nirvana style. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, but but uh, he can sing. Oh, yeah, and the Foo Fighters. I mean, Queens of the Stone Age was very big, but Foo Fighters was huge. Yeah. Um, but not neither of them even like compared to Nirvana. No, 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 no. I'm I'm not saying it. It would have. De- it definitely would have detracted from Nirvana. Yeah. yeah. But it. Yeah. So in uh, 1991, their second album came out, and um, that was the album that had "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Yeah, and if okay, so actually, right now. If you do not know Nirvana songs, pause this. <laughs> Go listen to a couple of them. Smell. Smell in the roses. And then you can come back to this. Because yeah. I don't want you listening to the rest of the story without knowing some Nirvana. Yeah, get, get, get a little feel for the voices. Get a little feel for the voices. Because it's important to know like exactly like... Get, get his, the spirits, yeah. the lyrics, the... Yeah. The... So like this... Nirvana Mood. kind of like helped set the scene for Seattle grunge music, um, which happened in like, you know, well, the, all of grunge. Well, they were part of a couple of bands. Yes. But, um, but grunge is a, you know, yes, section of alternative rock, yes. um, which also helped lead to like Pearl Jam mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of like the flannel wearing uh, pot smoking Seattle lights. <laughs> what are Seattle people called? Seattleers. Oh, I was. I thought you were saying satellites. <laughs> Seattleites. You, you can say it. I like Seattleites. I like Italians. <laughs> um, if anybody here is from Seattle, can you tell us what you, you, you like to call yourself? And um, if it's nothing fun, can you become the Seattleites <laughs> or Italians? <laughs> I mean, we're from Pittsburgh, so we're Pittsburghers, and it's kind of sad. Yeah, Ers. Ers. <laughs> what are Virginia Beach people called? Beachers. <laughs> Whales. Son of a beach. Son of a beach. Anyways. Um, so that uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit came off of their second album, like I said, which was called Nevermind. Okay. So Cobain had um, artistic vision, but he kind of feared that it was being misinterpreted by the public. So he went from being like super underground to being like an icon practically overnight he reached (laughs) self-actualization well too much too much marijuana or harder oh way harder way harder i know um i know so he kind of feared that people just like thought he was a certain way and he he said that people were listening to his music and it wasn't the it wasn't doing what he wanted it to do wasn't creating a movement man I mean, it created a movement, but just... It wasn't toppling the government, sticking it to the man. But yeah, truthfully, I mean, because he was very... um, Like, he was in, like, to gay rights, even back in the early 90s, which, you know, comes and goes in big waves. Um, Well, it started the push, and then it's like a a wave, tidal wave. So you you gotta keep going, and then it keeps pushing up this, you know, sand and comes back, and then, you know... 
it takes momentum. And right. I, I think there's, it's, it's kind of like you lose, you lose energy after all that pushing for a while yeah. and then you got to keep pushing. And then you kind of have Cause to like, if, if, if you bit. could push, just keep growing in force, Mm -hmm. then yeah, things would get done a lot easier, but people get tired really, really quickly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we're finally at a point where it's getting to the top of the pyramid. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's good yeah, to where have it's going to people... topple over and then just reach the, yeah. Get over the rocks. So it seems say. like every, so like the seventies was a very big time for that. The nineties, yeah. um, which you would think like the 2010s would be, which I guess late 2010s kind of were. Yeah. Um, it's been a weird decade and then we're not even in that decade anymore it's been yeah. a really weird decade for the 2020s so yeah, far and, and we're gonna count it so we're gonna have to uh change this decade so that we never remember we're gonna have to make it again. a good decade guys <laughs> make it a good decade this podcast is gonna change the world because of this nirvana podcast yes. right here yeah this this podcast this kurt cobain podcast right here and I also want to warn you guys that this one might be long because <laughs> we're only two paragraphs in. <laughs> um, okay, so he also, um, he had addiction, depression, and stomach pains, which we'll talk about. And then, stomach pains? No, like that's like a big thing. Yeah, but that's weird to throw in with the other ones. Oh, but that's part of the reason for it yeah um and he also was married to courtney love yeah um we'll go back into that a little bit later um and then she was in a band called hole yep which was kind of like a female grungy band yeah they were they were they were like, like uh again if you don't know pause this and go listen to doll parts yeah they i'm trying to think of like an equivalent pretty reckless kind of no they're not as big as pretty reckless they were huge. They, okay, maybe not. I don't know. My mom was as, not as big as my mom is like a weird music person who's obsessed yeah, with yeah, music. Yeah. So so she goes. <laughs> your mom goes into weird, weird uh, like niches, and then you think they're bigger than they are. That's true. <laughs> but I mean, the they they don't get me wrong. They were famous. I would compare them to like the Pretty Reckless, except for I think that Pretty Reckless has a better voice. Yes, they're. Hole is like a two-hit wonder. Pretty, although I couldn't name the two hits. Like, I'm not good at naming, yeah, yeah, yeah. naming the hits, but I think Pretty Reckless might be a four-hit. Yeah, maybe a little bit bigger, but it's also a different time because I feel like there was a lot more one-hit wonders back then. Yeah. Um, Or like small, you know. Well, because I think you're just turning bands and throwing them aside. You're not trying to captivate or well, develop yeah. artists. And also, you know, you have really only the radio to push album sales yeah which now you can stream the whole album without but i mean so like i pay for spotify yeah and i can listen to any album i want at any time so if i don't like that album i can just move on and i still am paying somebody well i think the main thing is the reason why you like so taylor swift is a brand now yeah so you develop taylor swift right and you don't throw taylor swift aside because now she sells perfume now she sells well not not in, not in her instance but i'm just saying like this i think i think the biggest thing though is that albums like i needed whenever i was younger i needed to like at least three or four songs to in order to buy an album yeah 
But now, I mean, if I like one song by a band, I can just listen to that one song yeah, as much repeat. as I want. Yeah. yeah. Just throw it in your list. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's another really huge thing that kind of changed music. Um, but... Damn it, Napster. <laughs> Damn it, Napster and LimeWire. And then um, his other really big hits, not his, I mean, the whole band as a whole, um, haha, as a whole, which we're not even talking <laughs> about, but Nirvana as, as a whole, um, Come As You Are. Yep. A uh, heart-shaped box. Come as you are. <laughs> Those are like really huge ones. There's other ones like um, Polly and, um, the, which is about rape. It's just like there's so many different ones that are really pop popular for like the niche group, but everybody knows. Smells like Teen Spirit. Come as you are. Heart-shaped box. Yep. So Cobain was also very very close friends with the lead singer of REM. Yeah. And his name's Michael Stipe. And um, he was going to be working with him on the album after the one that just came out. And Cobain was going to focus more on the melody of, of songs. And he wanted to do um, like a stripped down version of songs rather than like a heavier okay. grunge sound. He wanted to do kind of like an acoustic one. Oh. Which um, one of the people interviewed in the documentary said that, you know, uh, Kurt was really starting to focus on, um, like evolving as an artist. Cause you can't um, be like this grungy, you yeah. know, dude, when you're 70, I mean, you could, well, but yeah. he said in like, in the one interview, tell that to Willie Nelson. Yeah. But Kurt Cobain said that he wanted to kind of become, as he grew, he wanted to become kind of like a Johnny Cash figure. Yeah. Because like, yeah, in your twenties and thirties, and even 40s you can you know rock hard but then like the older you get you yeah. kind of want to mellow it down yeah you don't want to be aussie and you might be taken more <laughs> you might be taken more seriously if you go for like an acoustic style yeah and and typically this is just jason's opinion but acoustic uh songs tend to draw more on the lyrics mm -hmm. than uh heavier metal songs because they just don't overshadow yeah the lyrics as much but um the other thing is and this is kind of funny that we're talking about how he wants to go kind of into like an acoustic album because he it's like noted that he likes to go on the melody of like the songs of like the uh like the musical part and then he comes up with lyrics to fit them and he once said, and this is a direct quote, why in the hell do journalists insist on coming up with a second-rate Freudian evaluation of my lyrics when 90% of the time they're transcribed them incorrectly? <laughs> um, he had called his own lyrics contradictions. They're split between sincere thoughts and sarcastic ones. Yeah. Um, and since its debut, like Nirvana's debut, the band has sold 27.6 million albums in the U.S. alone and 75 Ooh. worldwide. Yeah, that's a lot of That's a lot, especially like, you know, that's like the early 90s. Yeah. I mean, especially if if I uh if each album is a child that you birth. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, also obviously artists do well posthumously. Yeah. Um because people are like, "Oh my gosh, like this is an icon, blah 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 blah." But um 
they were so huge even before that. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't just whenever he died. So here comes our friend Courtney Love, not Courtney Cox. Uh, Courtney Love. <laughs> Um, So there's a bit of confusion as to when they met, um, but it was sometime in 1991. The two of them were, well, they met before this, but in late 1991, they were often together bonding over heroin. Oh, yes. Such a grand thing to bond over. Like being superheroes? Yeah, the heroine. Oh, she was (laughs) was the heroine to his hero? We're talking some black tar heroin. How do you know it's black tar and not like... They do Brown mention tar. that later. Oh. Apparently, black tar is left coast, oh. west coast for you other people who aren't me. Oh. And brown and white tar, or brown and white heroin, is more of the east coast. I did not know that. Me either. I would think I would think the difference would be uh, Mexico versus uh, well, like I... versus Canada, the borders. Oh, like yeah. what would fly in via? I think that. If for the u.s of, well if you think of like california yeah it's going to be easier for them to get stuff from mexico because it's right there well from the bottom up yeah yeah california makes sense but i mean these people are traveling for music so it doesn't really matter where they're at yeah i know they're going to get their own stuff but... and they're in la a lot yeah they're going to get their stuff but but that's uh, where all the musicians were so if they if they like black as opposed to brown they're gonna get what the, what they like it doesn't yeah. matter what the cost is and i mean i don't know anything about heroin yeah, I don't know except for either. that um it's really bad <laughs> and we'll get into some of the, the the facts about heroin later um that i didn't know until yesterday okay <laughs> there you go um so kurt cobain oh wait Back up. So on February 24th, 1992, um, Kurt and Courtney got married in Hawaii. Hawaii. Um, Only eight people attended the wedding. Eight? Yep. One of them was Dave Grohl. (laughs) What if I say I'm not like the others? (laughs) At this time, uh, Courtney was pregnant with their daughter, Frances Bean, who who was married or who was born August 18th, 1992. Mm. Um, And her sonogram was actually used for, for the artwork for Lithium. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Co- you bought my sonogram! <laughs> uh, so Courtney told Vanity Fair that she had used heroin despite being pregnant. Oh, shit. But she later retracted this. Uh, no. <laughs> no takesy-backsies? Yeah. Um, so I would like to say, Courtney Love, please do not sue me. Um <laughs> Everything is hearsay, but this has been retracted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, if even if it's been retracted, it, it's kind of like it's it's on the internet once, and then you yeah. can't take it back. I, there's there's some things, and you know, at this time, a lot of times junkies, they they're not going to stop just because they're pregnant. I know yeah. that's terrible, but they're not. Well. And they'll inject it through the umbilical cord too, or it does. Like a lot of times, babies are born addicted to heroin, but there was actually no sign that the baby was addicted to heroin when she was so born. That's good. So even if she did take um, take it when she was pregnant, hopefully it was early enough in the pregnancy. And Frances Bean is an adult now, and I mean, because she would be two years young or three years younger than me. Yeah. Um. So she would be twenty eight, and um, she's fine. Yeah. So. 
that's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, so even if she did use heroin during pregnancy, it luckily did not kill or distort Francis Bean at all. Francis Bean. I don't know if her name is Francis Bean or Francis, and then Bean is her middle name, but everything always says Francis Bean. Hmm. So I think it's like two first name type of thing. Like my grandma was Sandra Lee. Hmm. I don't know. Anyways. Um, so Cobain also had problems with his health. He always had chronic bronchitis and an undiagnosed stomach condition. So when I said he had stomach aches, that's why it was so crippling that he self-medicated with weed from age 13. Yeah. Um, from weed, he moved to LSD and then he moved onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards. Yeah. um, With alcoholism and heroin. And probably everything else under the sun. Now, alcoholism kind of doesn't make sense because wouldn't that develop an ulcer or so- well, something? Well, so would heroin. Okay. This is yeah. why what I don't know. Yeah. So any of these hard drugs, besides probably weed, would make it would mask the pain, but probably make the condition worse. Yeah, for for the time that you're high. But apparently towards the end, um, he did get diagnosed with something and they treated it. And he said he hadn't had stomach pains for a whole year. Oh, um, the way that this Wikipedia article read, it kind of sounded like the heroin was what he, you know, used to make it feel better. However, in a couple of things I read, they said that it was like, it was treated. He finally got treatment for it. And as somebody who has a terrible stomach condition, I understand. Like, there are some times yeah. that it is debilitating. Oh, yeah. And mine isn't even, like, that extent. So he first tried heroin in 1986, and he used it sporadically up until 1990 when he became an addict. Um, he said that he used it three days in a row, and it got rid of his stomach pain. Okay. Um, he OD'd for the first time after Nirvana performed on SNL, and Love ended up resuscitating him. And then in July of 1993, he OD'd again, um, but this time Love injected him with naloxone. Naloxone or something, yeah. Um, which mm. revives them. Yeah. And this uh. brings us to the events leading up to his death. Um, yeah, so this is kind of like a couple of... We're going to start about... A, ma- a little bit over a month before his death. So on March 1st, 1994, um, Co- Cobain was diagnosed with bronchitis and then laryngitis as well um, while he was in Germany and they flew him to Rome for treatment. Huh. I don't know why they wouldn't just stay in Germany. Be blessed by the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was on March 1st and then Courtney joined him on March 3rd, and on that day, he overdosed on champagne and rohypnol. That's a weird, bubbly, yeah. rapey combo. Um, and rohypnol is roofies for everybody. Yes. We had to verify that because I didn't want to spew incorrect facts. <laughs> if it's got R in the name. No, no. Rape is the game. <laughs> um, I thought, so Rohypnol, I mean, obviously it would be like, it's a benzo, so it makes you feel good, which is why people use it to spike your drink. But it is interesting that he would 
overdose on that mixed with champagne. So there are some conspiracies that um, maybe there were some more crushed up in his champagne. Yeah. And he took a couple of to feel better, but then somebody added a little bit extra. A little bit extra and hoping that would do the job. So he was rushed to the hospital and he stayed there for five days. Um, and when he was released, he returned to Seattle. Now, um, they said... So, just sorry to interrupt, but if we're pointing to poison... <laughs> is this just note that this is kind of close to poisoning guys and girls yeah and everybody else it's an so, interesting theory here so um we're just of some stuff that pointing happens. out that the first attempt is poisoning <laughs> so i want to come back to that yes um because there's a couple of thoughts i have about this particular event yes um, and I want to say that posthumously, uh, Courtney pointed to this event as a suicide attempt. Yeah. The Roman doctor disagrees. Yeah. And some friends will say this was definitely not a suicide attempt. And other friends said, yes, it was. No, I mean, if... All right. If, if you're going to... Well, wait, let me add one more thing. Okay, go for it. Apparently, according to Courtney, he had consumed 50 pills. 50 pills. All right. But according to the doctor, that was not true. Uh, all right. If, well, the doctor <laughs> doctor is right. Let's yes. just put that out there. Doctors prob- is an impartial, yeah. impartial party. But I would like to say that Courtney said that he took 50 to 60 pills. He might have taken five to six, which might not have killed him. And she's like exaggerating by 10 times. That, which is still a fuck ton. Yeah. We will come back to this. Okay. Because this is an extremely important Yeah, there's no way he took five to, even five to six, if I had to guess. I I mean, he does heroin. Well, yeah, but. (laughs) Five to, I take, I take four, you know, ibuprofens like no, but candy. i think i think it's it's meant to be the one or two is meant to knock you out yeah but he does heroin well yeah but i could see him taking he's a not... handful but 50 to 60 you have to literally be shoving them in your face yeah i mean imagine taking 50 pills you need a funnel for that you need them to be crushed and a funnel yes um okay so it's just something to think about yes. <laughs> keeping your minds everybody on March 18th, Love called Seattle police and she said that Cobain was suicidal and locked in a room with a gun and pills. Oh, man. Um, he insisted that he was not suicidal and that he was just hiding from his wife. Oh. They did take his guns away at this point. Well, yeah, they should. That's that's good for... Yeah. You know, even if, if he's hiding from his wife. This is an inter- That's an interesting... Um, little area there because it's kind of like a, this could lead either way. Yeah. On March 25th, there was an in, in blah, blah, intervention planned for Kurt. Um, and he was very angry and he actually locked himself away again. Oh, but the next day he, um, checked into Exodus recovery center in LA. Yeah. Um, and on March 30th, 
or on March 30th. The next day he arrived on March 30th. I guess he locked himself away for a couple of days. But anyways, um, while he was there, there was no indication he had any suicidal thoughts, that he was depressed, and that he was he was not negative at all. Yeah. In fact, uh, Francis Bean visited him, and there's videos of him playing with her. Oh. Mm-hmm. In like a very happy mood. Yeah. Um, Maybe he's just happy to be away from the birch. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that night, um, Cobain went outside for a cigarette and scaled a six foot fence. <laughs> And <laughs> I just need a sing. <laughs> just want to sing. Um, and he took a taxi to LAX and then flew to Seattle. I'm just gonna have a sing. I'll be right back. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Um, another weird fact is that he got on a, on the plane and Duff McCuggum McCuggum from Guns N' Roses. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I know there's Duff from Guns N' Roses, but I don't know how to say his last name. Um he said that he sat next to him and he seemed very happy, um, which was weird because Kurt had a severe personal animosity against Axl Rose, probably because Axl Rose is an asshole. That's <laughs> probably true. And I mean, you know, stealing his thunder. Um, but he said that he, like, he seemed very, very happy. And after the fact, Duff kind of said, like, he should have known there was something wrong. Yeah. But um, on April 2nd and 3rd, he was spotted around Seattle. And then on April 3rd, um, Courtney Love contacted Tom Grant, who is a PI, to find her husband, which we will get into him because that's who Soaked Bleach is all about. Yeah. Um, and then on April 7th, the band pulled from Lollapalooza. Oh. Which would have been about $10 million. Oh, shit. Yeah. And then we're going to get into that, too. And then on April 8th, his body was discovered in his Lake Washington home by an electrician. Oh, man. Um, he saw very little blood, and the shotgun was pointed at his chin, so he called the police. There was a suicide note. Again, we will discuss this. And there was high, high, high levels of heroin and diazepam, um, which is rohypnol, um, found in his body, and he had been laying there for several days, estimating that he died on April 5th. Oh, man. So, again, this is important that he had been lying there for several days. Yeah. Okay. Bitch, pull out of the show. Bitch, gotta go. <laughs> that's what that's what she said. So let's back it up. That's uh, <laughs> not being me insensitive. That's just me blaming it on. Yep. <sighs> okay, guys. So that's the story of Kurt Cobain's suicide. <clears throat> um, besides the note, which we'll get to in this part. This is the conspiracy that Kurt Cobain... Did not commit suicide. He didn't do it. And he was, in fact, murdered. Murdered. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm not usually a huge conspiracy person. Yep. But you you were you were kind of anti this before. You were like you were like, eh, it's 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 uh, just uh. No, I always I oh, never, you, you I were, always thought that oh you he always was thought. Murdered. But you were like maybe like 80%. Now you're like 100%. I'm like 99%. I'm not going to say 100% because oh, okay. I don't know. Okay. Well, yeah, that's fair. I don't know medical. We're never so. 100%. Yeah. But like based on what I have experienced via some internet sleuthing and this um, documentary. Yes. As well as my thoughts whenever I was five and my mom's thoughts whenever she was 25. <laughs> 
as well as other people, you know, in the community, which some friends and if you listen to Morbid, um, they also agree that he was murdered. Yeah. So it is a big conspiracy theory that has a lot of people backing it, especially the younger generations now, because this was Generation X, obviously. So the millennials and the Gen Zers are like, we're going to catch this bitch. Yep. <laughs> um, so I would like to back it up to whenever she calls the PI. And um, give me one second. Singing the pretty songs. Pretty songs. This is what I do. I um. Yeah, you just tootle along. I just tootle along. Okay, so soaked in bleach, and I also want to say that I turned on this this um documentary, which is a big one, and it came out recently. I think it was on Tubi, maybe, and um. The production company is Montani Productions, which is my parents' last name. And um, my dad's like, oh, yeah, well, like we, we have family out in California, so they probably produced it. So awesome. <laughs> there you go. If they are a relation to my father, um, super badass. Cool. But I, I recommend this. I do recommend this a lot. It is kind of like a docudrama because um, they use actual phone call footage, like like phone calls but then they also have like actors playing the parts yeah you okay sophie yeah okay you wanted to come out for this part of the story yeah she's got her tinfoil hat on too <laughs> okay so on april 3rd courtney love calls tom grant who was just in the in the paper or yeah. in like the white pages or the yellow pages children that was how we got around before Google. <laughs> Use your fingers to walk through the yellow pages. <laughs> I'm doing the finger motion, you guys. Are. You can't see this, but I'm doing the finger how motion. How can you tell people how old you are without telling them how old you are? We used to use the white pages. Mom, hang up the phone. I'm trying to use the internet. <laughs> I was at the age where we used the white pages and the internet. <laughs> I am 31. <laughs> Okay, so the reason that Tom Grant is um, considered a pretty good source is he had a history of law enforcement and he was like, he was a cop and everything. And then okay. when he retired, he became a fully licensed PI um, and he tries to apply logic and not set predeterminations. And I also want to note, he was hired by Courtney Love. Yeah. He was not hired by Cobain's family. Okay, so then um, he also recorded every single conversation. Every conversation. Everyone. He had, like, hundreds of tapes. Okay. Um, so whenever she calls, it's on Easter Sunday. It's April 3rd and says her husband is missing. And yeah. she said, if you leak this to the press, I'll sue the fuck out of you. Well. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. But why would he? Right. Well, I mean. Well, I mean, yeah. They're like two of the biggest celebrities at the time. True. So he met her at the Peninsula Hotel on the 4th, and she tells Tom that she called the credit cards companies to try to shut off the cards um, because he bought two tickets on American Airlines. Now I want to say, like, I'm like, I was writing notes while I was watching the documentary, so if something doesn't make sense, I'll, I'll hopefully try to remember how I explained it or how it was explained. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And she said that she thought he might have been going to go visit Michael Stipe from REM, um, but didn't understand why he had two tickets. Probably one for him and one for his daughter. Well, his daughter was like two and like was at, in Seattle. Oh, my bad. Um, my bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. But then um, she brought up that while he was in Rome, he said he wanted a divorce in a letter. And she thought that he was having an affair with her band member or having an affair with his drug dealer, Caitlin, who lived in Seattle. Okay. Um, so she, like, this is all over the place because this part was kind of all over the place. Well, yeah. She was very heavily drugged at the time. Yes. So um, she also planned to leak a story to the news that she had OD'd. That Courtney had OD'd herself. Okay. So that it would draw Kurt out of hiding. Oh, so that he'd care. Quote, care. Yeah, and seeing that all publicity is good publicity. Mm. Um, and she said that her album was coming out later that week and it would sell so many records. Mm. Which, that's a weird thing to say. Actually, I want to see when the records were actually coming out. Um, that is a weird thing to say. So, Live Through This came out um, April 12th, 1994. Holy shit. You don't delay it because of your husband's passing? Four days after her husband is dead. I think you can get a stop for that, can't you? I think so. Um, I mean, the, the stores would have the physical inventory, so maybe not, but... I don't, I don't know, but I mean, they could say, like... Due to Kurt's passing, we're going to wait a week. Um, but yeah, so she had an album coming out in 1994. And that was supposed to be like a huge deal. Because their their album before was on is, was in um, 91. But their big one, Celebrity Skin, came out in 98. I'm looking at it right now. That's um, yeah. the only reason I know this. But live through this. Yeah, it came out four days after. Aye. So that's... Live through this. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that ironic? <laughs> You're not uh, gonna live through this. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fucked up sentence. And was, was she the head band member? Yeah, she's a singer. She's, okay. So um, it was a weird thing to say at the time, but it's even weirder now. Yes. To me. Um, and to... Probably everybody else. <laughs> to my pointy hat that I'm wearing. But she said, you know, like that it would sell a lot of records if she, you know, OD'd. Um, she was also extremely upset about Lollapalooza. Well, yeah. I mean, that's fair. That, um, that is fair. Wait, the reason she was so upset, and she kept mentioning this over and over again, was that they had originally asked Hole to play, but then they booked Nirvana instead. That's not fair. And, um, well, I guess she turned it down for Nirvana to play instead. Like, they turned it down. Mm. So that Nirvana would have a shot at it. Which... Nirvana would have the shot first. It, but apparently they asked Hole to play first. Yeah, my That's ass what she did. said. My ass they did. Um, but when Nirvana was pulling out, all she kept saying was, it was 9 or $10 million he was walking away from, and we could have had that. We could have had that. Well, that that's true. Yes. But... It's, Your husband's dead. Well, no, at this point, her husband's just missing. Yeah. So Courtney decides 
Oh, and she tells Tom, like, don't tell anybody, like, don't report this to anybody. But then she goes and files a missing persons report under Cobain's mom's name, Wendy O'Connor. Okay. Yeah. She said the reason she did this is because no one would take it seriously if she called. I understand that. He still shouldn't do that, but, like, I understand, like, oh, I'm calling, I'm Kurt Cobain's mom and I'm reporting him missing rather than I'm his wife who he doesn't want to speak to right now and we're not doing well. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, where was I at? Okay, so then she knew that he had bought a shotgun the day before he went into rehab and she, when he didn't show up at Caitlin's hotel, the one who he thought, they thought he was having an affair with, um, they decided to start looking in hotels. So this or is just buying his normal drugs. Yeah. So, um, and this is Tom meets up with his friend named Dylan Car- Carlson, um, with Kurt Cobain's friend Dylan Car- Carlson, and um, Courtney tells them to look at the nicer hotels first, and to, and brushed off any surveillance at the Washington House. Yeah. She's like, oh, you don't need to go up there. You don't, he's not going to be up there. There's no reason for you guys to go up there. Hmm. And she said the reason that they don't need anybody up at that house is because their friend Callie, AKA Michael DeWitt, um, was watching the place. And he was like a live-in nanny for Francis Bean, but also a former ex of Courtney's. Oh. Yeah, there's some weird shit. (laughs) So on April 6th, Tom said he was going to move the investigation to Seattle. Um, but Courtney was too busy to do so. She had business in LA. Yeah. So um, Tom met up with Dylan. So I got like the timeline kind of confused because they kind of jump around. Um, but on April 6th, they decide to go up to the house in Washington. Okay. Now I want you to note that it is dark and rainy. Yes. So at the house, um, they go into Kurt's room and they find his rohypnol pills under his mattress but they search the whole bed there's nothing there yeah and then um they also like search for they're like looking for the gun and looking for him yeah because the gun is actually registered to dylan because they knew that like kurt couldn't put it in his name because they were afraid he was gonna they were gonna take it again but the reason kurt wanted to get a gun was because there was intruders at the house yeah so he wanted to get it for protection. That's what they said. Um, and then Dylan said that he was obviously one of uh, Kurt's best friends and he was not suicidal. Um, he said the OD in Rome was completely accidental. It was not a suicide attempt. And if he believed that he was suicidal, he would have never brought, bought the gun. Yeah. So the doctor in Rome also said it was not a suicide attempt, that there was not 60 pills taken, which we already talked about. Um, so they went in, they only found the pills. And then when Tom was getting back in the car, he's like, is there anywhere else we need to look? And Dylan said, no. So Tom was under the impression that they searched the entire house, Hmm. but they didn't. Hmm. So later they were out looking at hotels. They went to the more like flea baggy ones at this point. And they, and like his friends were interviewed and said like, yeah, he would much more likely stay at like a cheaper motel than like a really expensive one because that wasn't his scene yeah um so courtney calls back and says on the seventh could you go back and look for the shotgun in a hidden compartment in the room and again nothing 
But this time they find a note from Callie on the step saying like, hey, dude, I didn't realize that you were in the house and um, like it's really fucked up or something like that. I couldn't find a copy of this note. And if you probably watch it, you might be able to, you know, hear more of it. But it was weird because it was not on the steps the day before when they went. Yeah. But then it was on the steps on the 7th. So it's weird because of the timeline. If we think about it, if he was dead on the 5th, which we'll talk about, um, why was this letter there on the 7th? Yeah. Um, And it just, and the note sounded really weird. So when they were reading it off, it just sounded like not like a note that you would write. It sounded very, it sounded like Callie wrote it, but it was like a forced note, like kind of covering tracks. Yeah. Um, Like mm. backwards, like, hey man, like it's weird There's that a... you're at the house and. Reason I didn't let you in that room. Yeah. So then on April 8th, um, Dylan and Tom were heading back to the house and they stopped to get gas and Dylan made another phone call. Um, well, oh, and during this time, um, Courtney wouldn't talk to Tom at all. He would only talk to Dylan. Okay. She would only talk to Dylan. And, um, so Dylan was acting kind of funky too. So it's kind of hard to tell exactly what was going on via these conversations. Now, Dylan is a severe heroin addict at this time. Okay. He is still alive now, um, but this time of his life, he, he probably can't even remember most of it because he was so fucked. Yeah. So um, somebody called the electrician and said, like, hey, you need to come do some work on this house, which is also weird because, like, nobody was there, really. Well, yeah. Callie might have been there, but, like, so Gary Smith is the electrician he went to do some work in this room which was like above the garage yeah and they called it the greenhouse room because it was all glass and um he looked in and he saw a a body laying on the floor and he saw a shotgun and a little bit of blood oh man just a little bit of blood yeah so um they heard like so like the police came and then the french doors were locked to the to the room but it was one of those locks that if you if you turn the lock you can like pull the door closed behind you yeah that's important to note also (laughs) so you can lock yourself out yes you can lock somebody you know like in or yeah yeah like you can lock it and not be outside when you lock it yeah um so the paramedics the one paramedic was named john fisk and he was actually interviewed he said there was a shotgun in the lap and laid in the lap a pool of blood but he did not touch the body because it was clearly dead like there's no reason to contaminate the crime scene because you know this person is dead yeah (laughs) um and then tom was confused why dylan did not mention the greenhouse room as it was very clear during the day that this room was there so during a a dark rainy night you're not going to see it because it's above the garage and like there's not that's not usually a thing that happens so it's kind of like your brother's house yeah um how there's like a room above the garage but if it was dark out like you probably wouldn't even think that would be a thing yeah i think it's part of a garage yeah but he said it was extremely clear during the day and if they would have checked it the last two times he would have been there because his time of death was estimated on the fifth yeah 
Um, no, I mean, he uh, was dead on the fifth. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like. But, like, it's just weird that they didn't find him for yeah. a couple of days. Cool. And a another person found him instead. Yeah. The electrician. <clears throat> so Seattle police were there and they said they were looking at it as a possible homicide. But anytime that Tom tried to talk to the police, they brushed him off. Mm. They said the captain didn't want to talk to him. Um, and there was a bunch of things that started happening in the press at this point. So once it leaked out that there was a celebrity who killed himself, um, there, things started changing in the media. Like they said there was a stool that was blocking the door. It wasn't. It was nowhere near the door. Um, they said that the, like he was barricaded in. The door was just locked, which you could pull from the outside. Yeah. Um, and the paramedics said none of like there was nothing blocking it. Like they were just able to go go in. Yeah. Or else they would have had to break it down. And something. then the photos were not developed until 2014. Huh. Which we'll get to in a bit because we come back around to that. Um, this is not standard protocol. I would imagine. Seattle Police Department had a different set of rules. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the Detective Sergeant Cameron, who worked for the C- Seattle PD, was actually fired... Um, well, he was retired instead of being fired for stealing evidence from a homicide scene for a different thing. So there were some cover-ups going on in the Seattle Police Department anyways. Uh, yeah. Um, Detective Kirkland said he did not want to speak to Tom and that the patrol officer would call it a, would call a suicide or a homicide. So a patrol officer, just like a normal beat cop, could go to a scene and say, eh, this looks like a suicide. And there'd be no further investigation. Huh. Which is unbelievable. Yeah. Huh. Um, they waited 30 days to, to process the shotgun for fingerprints. The crime scene was torn down and destroyed, and Cobain was cremated six days after being discovered. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but that's not even the craziest part. So he wasn't tested, probably. These aren't even the craziest parts. Okay. okay, so I would like to start oh, by saying that um, whenever you come up to a dead body, yeah, you can never assume what happened to them. Yeah. So basically, whenever anybody dies, it's like an equivocal death analysis. You have to try to assume whether it was an accident, a suicide, or a homicide. Yes. Only the medical examiner can can dis. can decide the manner of death or undetermined undetermined can be if you don't really know one way or another yeah in this regard i don't know how he wouldn't be undetermined because it is extremely so here's the thing he had the amount of heroin in his system at the time makes things very impossible and the position of the gun makes things also impossible so heroin is extremely toxic everybody knows this don't do heroin kids um (laughs) so a normal level of heroin for an average person that would be toxic okay it's probably like about 30 milligrams 30 milligrams um, which would make your blood alcohol level like 0. 0.2. Oh. 
Okay, that's that's pretty high. Pretty high. Because that's think about how much alcohol does. Yeah, yeah. Um so the heaviest users, their toxic levels are about 60 milligrams, which would mean his blood alcohol or not sorry, blood alcohol, blood heroin level would be like a 0.419. Okay. He had 1.52 milligram per liter. <laughs> which is more than triple. I think it's exponential, isn't it? From what you're telling me, that that's that's more than even triple. Well, he would need 225 milligrams. Okay. Um. So 60, you know, 225. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The amount yes, of that yeah. toxic. Okay, so the way heroin works. Yeah. Is um it's shot into your vein yeah and the reason it is shot into your vein is because the vein goes directly to your heart yep. and your heart goes directly to your brain yeah and we're talking seven seconds tops yeah everybody's heard like you can die from a bad od in seven seconds okay it's not like whenever you snort cocaine or you you know this is injected so we're talking seconds yes that level, if it didn't kill him, would render him unconscious. Yes. Almost immediately. Yes. Um, because and, it would have to be a steady stream, pretty much, of pure yeah. heroin. Like, just replacing the blood. Right. Like, it's just... Vein. So, while he is doped up on three times <laughs> the toxicity level of the most severe addict, <laughs> which he... We'll, we'll go and say he's the most severe addict. Yeah, we'll say that. Three times that level. He rolled down his sleeves. He put away his heroin kit, including the needles and the um, rubber to, you know, pinch off his nerve. Yeah. Put it away in his kit. Took the gun. Placed it upside down. Positioned it into his mouth. Properly, and shot yes. himself. Properly. Yes. Properly. He did not blow off his face. He had a small exit wound. Yes. <laughs> this is some shit that you would Probability see on of success is on zero. TV as like a oh yeah this is what this is. <laughs> Maybe he reached Nirvana. <laughs> this is not possible. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, Ooh, maybe he reached Nirvana. Oh That's a good name. Maybe he reached Nirvana. No, let's not do that one. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, but then, so the other confusing part, besides a suicide note, which we're going to get to, yeah. is the gun. Okay. So shooting yourself with a rifle is hard. Yes. It is extremely long-barreled. Everybody knows what a rifle looks like. Yeah. So what he did, and this is important because what happens whenever, so sometimes whenever you shoot yourself, there's this thing called a cadaveric spasm. And what that is, is your body kind of goes into a very quick version of rigor mortis, which rigor mortis sets in later, but this is not... It's not rigor mortis. It's it's a spasm. Oh, is that where it wraps around the gun? And it is a death grip. Yeah, so it rips around the trigger. 
Well, it at the, this one it wraps around the the barrel. Oh, okay. So yeah, where where he's holding it. Now it's wrapped around the barrel with the gun upside down. Yeah. Okay. Which would make sense if he did shoot himself because he probably wanted to steady the, uh, the the gun into his mouth. Yeah. However, here's the thing. Where the shell comes out is to his right. Yeah. But the shell was on his left. Yeah. So either one, the gun flipped around upside down in his hand, which goes against the cadaveric spasm and his wrist does not move that direction. Yeah. Or the shell ricocheted off of somebody or something standing next to him. Yeah. Or was placed. Or was placed. So if it if so say somebody was standing next to him and the shotgun shell hit them in the stomach. Yeah. I mean, because that's not gonna do much. No. And then ricochet to the other side of him. Yeah. That's probably not gonna be something that you think about. Yeah. When staging a scene. Yeah. So we have physics saying no. Yeah. And we have toxicology saying hell no. Hell no. <laughs> and then we're going to get linguistics in here <laughs> to say, what the fuck is this? Um, I don't even. Letter. <laughs> <laughs> so the suicide note, this is kind of a. And it's, it's going to be pretty obvious because we have lots of writings from him via his music and his, his other spoken well, words and other written. So this is where it gets complicated because half of the experts say inconclusive. Okay. Half of them say it's not him. Well, not yeah. him at the bottom. This is very important. Yeah. The last four lines are not him. Yeah. And me personally, I'm going to explain why I think the last four lines are also not him. Okay. So this is a suicide note. Um, it's to Boda, which is his imaginary friend growing up. Oh, okay. I know that's really weird, but yeah, that's I who mean, it's to. Okay. And this is written on the, on the back of an IHOP placemat. One of those paper placemats. Yeah. It's written on the white side of that in red pen. Okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Cause you have that around your house, right? Just IHOP placemats. Well, No. To Boda, speaking from the tongue of an experienced simpleton who obviously would rather be emasculated, infantile complainee, this note should be pretty easy to understand. All of the warnings from the Punk Rock 101 courses over the years since my first introduction to the, shall we say, ethics involved with independence and embracement of your community has proven to be very true. I haven't felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music along with reading and writing for too many years now. I feel guilty beyond words about these things. For example, when we're backstage and the lights go out and the manic roar of the crowd begins, it doesn't affect me the way it did for Freddie Mercury, who seemed to love relish and love and adoration from the crowd, which is something I totally admire and envy. The fact is I can't fool you. I can't fool any of you. Or any of you. It simply isn't fair to you or me. The worst crime I can think of would be to rip some rip people off by faking it and pretending as if I'm having 100% fun. 
Sometimes I feel as I should have a punch-in time clock before I walk out on stage. I've tried everything within my power to appreciate it, and I do, God, believe me, I do, but it's not enough. I appreciate the fact that I and we have affected and entertained a lot of people. It must be one of those narcissists, or I'm a, it must be one of those narcissists who only appreciate things when they're gone. I'm too sensitive. I, I need to be slightly numb in order to regain the enthusiasms I once had as a child. Over the last three tours, I've had much better appreciation for all the people I've known personally as fans of our music, but I still can't get over the frustration, the guilt, and the empathy I have for everyone. There's good in all of us, and I think simply love, I, I think I simply love people too much so that it makes me feel too fucking sad. The sad little sensitive, unappreciative Pisces, Jesus, man. Why don't you just enjoy it? I don't know. I have a goddess of a wife who sweats ambition and empathy and a daughter who reminds me too much of what I used to be. Full of love and joy, kissing every person she meets because everyone is good and will do no, her no harm. And that terrifies me to the point where I can barely function. I can't stand the thought of Francis becoming the miserable, self-destructive death rocker that I've become. I have it good, very good, and I'm grateful. But since the age of seven, I've become hateful towards all humans in general. Only because it seems so easy for people to get along with that I have empathy. Sorry, my alarm went off. <laughs> Only because I love and feel sorry for people too much. Thank you all from the pit of my burning, nauseous stomach for your letters and concern during the past years. I'm too much of an erratic, moody baby. I don't have the passion anymore. And so remember, it's better to burn out than to fade away. Peace, love, empathy, Kurt Cobain. Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. So that's the letter. Yeah. So there's a couple of things about this letter. It does read like a suicide note. Now, I disagree. Because well, I know exactly what that is. I know exactly what that is. That is him coping from rehab. That is a rehab letter to himself. That is a rehab strategy to say, hey, we need to get rid of your demons, and this is getting rid of your demons 101. And then he did it at an IHOP, and then he got rid of his demons, and then she saved she saved it. And that, you know, he like it wrote it down because he had had a thought. She snatched it, put it in her purse, and because it it looked half like a suicide note, and she thought, hey, I'll keep this. So and then bam. It's a it that's I mean that's probably the best explanation I've heard actually because a lot of people say they think that this is his letter for leaving music. Okay. But actually you're probably right on the head because where do you go whenever you're you know crashing down from alcohol? Yeah. I hop. So where are you crashing down from heroin? Probably IHOP. Yeah. <laughs> there's no alcohol there. There's no, you know, like, that's kind of where you go at three o'clock in the morning when there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, and, and you just get those weird random thoughts. So, and in, in you're correct. In rehab and, like, you know, certain areas, like if he was in the hospital for a suspected suicide or an OD, a therapist or a doctor might tell him, like, write down 
Oh, you're shit. Yeah. And he's he's the type of guy to do that. Yeah. Um, so the big question that people have about the suicide note is the last four lines. <laughs> you could tell how dumbed down they were before, like... Well, like the, the last four lines are, Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. You could just tell, like, they're not as intelligent or well thought out or well right and um i'm gonna post a picture of yeah and even of the notes yes not even not even the we're not even going into the well okay so of it yeah linguistically but also you know handwriting analysis isn't it's not an intense science um but people do study it and i've studied forensic you know handwriting a little bit i mean with my masters, I, I went to it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but his handwriting is very small in all of it. Yes. It's very concise and it is very eloquently written. Yes. To like almost like the most pretentious degree. Like a no- like a notebook. Yeah, like and a that, notebook and that like a journal, which is why I got that. Right. Now the end of it is written in very big lettering. Sloppy. Very sloppy, which you could say, like, maybe he had already. Child. Childish, kind of. Maybe he already ingested some heroin. Yeah, you could argue that. But it's very off-putting when you look at it. Now, this is important because um, we're getting to a really interesting part here. So, Tom and all of his dealings, he, like I said, he records everything. So Rosemary is, um, her name is Rosemary and she was Rosemary Carroll and she actually was their entertainment lawyer. Yeah. Kurt and Courtney's. Okay. Um, now her part in the story is very important, but I also want to say that in the documentary, she sent a cease and desist letter to Tom once she found out that he was recording her. Oh, they still put this stuff in in the documentary, though. Oh. I don't know what California's laws are regarding, you know, recordings, but that's they put it in the documentary. So I'm going to use it. It's um, probably his property. Yeah, but you know how, like, wiretapping laws. Yeah. So Rosemary Carroll knew both of them. And apparently Kurt and Courtney had called her separately. Kurt asked to remove Courtney from the will. Yes. He was done with her. And Courtney called and asked for the meanest divorce attorney possible. (laughs) And this is very recently. This is, this was right before Rome. Yeah. So we're talking a month before. Yeah. Um, Who asked first? Well, they didn't say who exactly did it, but she called Tom about this. Yeah. Um, and she was going on about how Courtney left like a bag at, at Rosemary's place. Okay. On the 6th. Hmm. And in this bag, there were notebook papers where there had been certain letters of Kurt's that had been traced over and over and over again. 
like she was trying to learn his writing style. Oh, that's creepy. Um, and then as soon as she mentioned this, that's when Rosemary was like, are you recording this? And Tom goes, yeah, I record everything. And that's whenever she sent the letter. Oh. So they didn't, she didn't want anybody to know that this was happening. Like that she was helping Tom kind of nail Courtney to the wall. Yeah. Um, so the suicide note, again, the last four lines are like stereotypical. Like, I love you. You know, I can't carry on anymore type of thing. Yeah. Um, so it was a very weird, weird thing. And especially that like she had that notebook paper. And if you look at the letter, you can see hesitation marks. And the one mark that I, I noticed is, um, here, I'll show you on the computer. Yeah. If you look down, it's the last line and it's so much happier without me. Look at the, look at the letter E and me. Yeah. You see how there's two bumps there? Yeah. It's like a W almost. Well, it's like she or he was stopping and then started the line again. Like yeah. knew it wasn't a long enough line. Yeah. Um, there's some lettering differences. The spacing seems a little bit different, but they're words that have been previously written before. Yeah. And it was in that notebook, those words like Francis. Hmm. So it's very conspiracy theory to say like, Oh, maybe she was tracing the letter so she could do this. Yeah. But you know, and a lot of this, this is all conspiracy. But then um, Dylan and Callie were both very unreachable after the whole thing. Um, Courtney said she would get Dylan to come over, but then took him upstairs and shot and gave him heroin before an interview with Tom. Oh. So he was just completely out of it. Like he was just done. And then future months after that, she had paid his rent and supplied him in heroin. Oh. So if he knows something, he's not going to. Yeah, he's not going to. Roll. Um. And then Callie had been, you know, in rehab and was unreachable. But um, Courtney and Tom were on the phone and like Courtney was saying like, you know, I think that, you know, you're going to, you're going to be apologizing to me whenever, you know, (laughs) this all comes out differently. And then Tom sent a letter saying that it was suspicious and like he was leaning towards, you know, her being the suspect. Yeah. And, um, she said, well, I think Callie knows more than he's letting on. Like, he must have heard the gunshot or something and didn't say anything. Yeah. So now she's putting Callie at the crime scene. Hmm. At the, like, at the time. Um, and then there were some copycat suicides happening um, all over the world. So at least 68 known cases. After Kurt committed suicide, people started committing suicide across, you know, the world. Yeah. Um, so Tom really wanted to stop that. And he thought maybe if they could show that it was murder, that people would stop memorializing it and idolizing it. Um, just a couple of extra things, um, just like a quick rundown. So on March 30th, Kurt bought the Remington shotgun. He flew from Seattle to LA. He went to Exodus rehab. And then when at rehab, Courtney calls looking for Kurt, um, 13 times. Um, but she told Tom that it was only once, um, he, whenever he got out of rehab, whenever he snuck out of rehab, he decided to fly to Seattle rather than meet up with his wife who was 10 miles away from him. 
Um, they he visited Callie and Jessica in his bedroom on the second, and then that was the last time anybody saw him. And um, Callie spoke to Courtney eight times that day hmm. on the on the second. And then on the third, Courtney does not mention that Callie had seen Kurt at all whenever she said her his husband has been missing since he got out of rehab. Um, so, and like one final thing was like the FBI expert that they talked about was, um, said that if you want to get away with murder, you're going to kill a junkie. Yeah. So, um, Hmm. there's so much more to it. I recommend watching the movie, um, the docudrama Soaked in Bleach. It was very good. Um, it definitely cemented my tinfoil head onto my head. (laughs) (laughs) um a little super glue on there a lot (laughs) and it's just it's just the craziest story to me these are tinfoil hat theories these are not these are not uh this is not accusatory right and they did release a couple of pictures um but the seattle police department still will not open the case um i think there was a mishandling of of justice regardless because even if it was a suicide yeah there's some suspicious situations surrounding it. Yeah, you need to give clarity. And if right now, you know, I shot myself in the middle of our bedroom. Yeah. I would look like a suspect. Yeah. like. And then, you know, even if 10% of the people think that I did it, that's not fair to me. Right. Like, you want to have, like, a full... Um, you really want to go into it. Like, I mean, I would expect that if I, you know, decided to kill myself, that they would still check Jason for gunshot residue or, you know, the position of the gun. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not. Uh, suicidal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Better clarify that. Yeah. No, I mean, I would not shoot myself. I'm not suicidal, (laughs) but I'm saying that if something was to happen to me, you know, you would look at the person or the people surrounding that person, or at least, you probably wouldn't cremate somebody eight, six days after not, not at least potentially looking at it as a murder yeah. or accidental, or, I mean, it wasn't accidental because you shoot yourself. You're not really. <laughs> Whoopsie. But yeah, so that is the story of Kurt Cobain's suicide and or murder. You know, they call me Cobain. First name, Kurt. And in this corner... It's Jason! What do you got for us today, Jason? Alright, well, since it's the holiday season, and uh, I seem to be doing this voice a lot in my opening, I don't know why, um, I think we're going to go with uh, Melissa. What? What? Uh, who's your favorite reindeer, and uh, why? Pick your favorite reindeer of Santa's reindeer. There's only one answer. No, there's multiple reindeer. I know, but there's only one that's the correct answer. Who's your favorite reindeer? (coughs) Well, let me tell you why Rudolph is the correct answer. Ah, you're wrong. Poor little Rudolph. He... He's a little bitch boy. He's not a little bitch boy. Listen, okay, so he was He would have been invited to the big leagues if he could have made it. (laughs) Listen, this poor little boy... He had a red nose and it glowed, which badass. I don't have anything that glows on me. And I got um, stuff that glows on me. 
so these kids make fun of him. They're like, oh, you can't join any of our reindeer games. The kids don't make fun of him. Reindeer make fun of him. The reindeer kids. Reindeer kids. They're children. <laughs> They're all kids. They're all kids. Watch Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. Okay. So then, one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright. So, you know, Rudolph jumps up to the plate and he's like, sure, I'll help Santa. Santa's my bro. Why are they putting him at the front? That's like suicide. Well, because you need to light the that's way. Like, that's like Cobaining yourself. Oh my God. No, don't make that a thing. <laughs> Is that too Cobainful? Oh my God. You're an asshole. I am an asshole. Anyways. Okay. No, because of course you're going to be at the end. Why would you? You don't put your headlights where your windshield is. I know, but you don't put the rookie up front. You do whenever he has the glowy face. <laughs> the glowy face. <laughs> Anyways. So once he proves himself useful, then they're like, okay, cool. We'll hang out with you now. Bullshit. I would say fuck you to all the other reindeer who laughed at him. I'd go get my you know, girlfriend and say, fuck you. No. Tell the hater I said. <laughs> no, it's Dasher. Okay. Why Dasher? And I'm gonna tell you why, because Dasher's a bro. Okay. You want you want something done fast? Guess what? Dasher. You want something done quick? Guess what? Dasher. You want something done strong? Dasher. So wait, who in the Santa Claus? Yeah. Which reindeer was that? He was Dasher. Was it Dasher? Yeah. You know, Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. Yeah. So Dasher is like number one, and then he got replaced by Rudolph, so he was probably a little little bitch. No, he wasn't replaced. Well. Nobody was replaced. No, but like, imagine being like the head sled dog, and then you got somebody pulling up ahead of you. Yeah. So he was kind of replaced you, as like you know, you know the quarterback. You know who the worst quarterback in the league is? Mason Rudolph. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> He's a backup. Exactly. Who, and he should stay a backup. Who's a quarterback for the Jets? Right now? Wouldn't he be the worst quarterback? Because they haven't won no. one single game? No, it's not Joe Flacco's fault. Is he the Jets quarterback right now? I think he is, yeah. So he left the Ravens to go to the Jets? No, technically he went to the Broncos, and then he went to the, then he went to the Jets. I mean, I don't like the Ravens. I really hate the Ravens, but like, they were good whenever Flacco played but, for them. But but they had Sam Darnold, and then they benched Sam Darnold, and they they won't play him. And then yeah. Well, then why do the Jets suck so bad? Because everybody else sucks. Yeah. I don't know. You ask Jets fans. <laughs> Jets fans out there. Jets fans. How does it feel DM. to be the new Browns? DM me, DM me your, DM me your tears. How does it feel to be the new Browns? We can't say anything because the Steelers have lost two in a row now. Oh no, our 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 tears, uh, compared to thirteen in a row, <laughs> our tears. No. No, we've lost two in a row. We've clinched playoffs. We've clinched the playoffs and we've lost two in a row by losing two in a row. Yeah, but we lost to a team with no name. That's true. Oh, and speaking of that, the uh, Cleveland No Names, <laughs> uh, they have erased their name from history, the baseball team. Did they come up with a new name Cleveland yet? baseball team. No, but I told you their their name. Well, when you could... Google them, it's still the Cleveland Indians. Yes, it is still the Cleveland Indians, but they are removing their name from... After 105 years. After 105 years. 
Their uh, original name, well, their name before the Cleveland Indians, I don't know what their original name was because baseball teams go back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years or, you know, I the don't United know. The United States has only been around hundreds of years. <laughs> well, yes, but, but you know, that's hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> okay, anyway. So their their name was the Napes. And it is it is stupid because their their ma- their manager slash player was like something, Nape Lejoy Lejoy yeah or something like that, and uh, so they were the Cleveland Napes and uh, there is just oh some... shit but okay wait their seventy two championship drought is the longest in baseball I thought that was the Pirates no 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 we won in seventy two or like. I know, but I didn't realize somebody had not won. No, no, it used to be the Cubs, 105 years. Mm. Yeah, they have not won since 1948. Maybe changing their name will bring some luck back. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so what else you want to talk about? Uh, So I think I want to talk about what's your favorite chocolate? If you had to have a box of chocolates, like do if you, life was a box of chocolates, do you mean like what brand or what kind of chocolate, or like well, not like what kind of chocolate or like what flavors with the chocolate? I am not particular. You can expand on your box of chocolates. Well, um, anybody local to Pittsburgh knows that Saris is just. I mean, I haven't been to Europe, but like. Saras was deli- is delicious. You can't get much better. And then whenever we were, in, whenever... I mean, you could literally milk a cow and like put it fresh, fresh. <laughs> well, in apparently, the like Belgian chocolate better. is just like yeah, but you would have to milk the cow fresh <laughs> and then like pasteurize it like on. But the spot. like so in Cannonsburg, PA, where Mister Jason is from, well, you're from eighty four. We're famous for two things: chocolate and Perry Como. Perry Como's from there. Yes. That's cool. Yes. Huh. <laughs> that's what we're famous for. That's cool, though. I didn't well, know. Well, that's that's why I know. West Allegheny's only famous for, like, semi-pro athletes. <laughs> well, so Ringgold is famous for Joe Montana. Yeah, who's related to my aunt. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. Yeah. Uh. Anyways, um, <laughs> so, so Sarah's chocolate, Sarah's chocolate, but so like every year Jason's dad gets us like a, a giant box of it. Yeah. And, oh. um, doesn't he get us both boxes or does yeah, he just get us one? Yeah, both boxes. Um, and uh, I always try to eat the nuts ones before Jason can get to no, one. No, you can't. <laughs> That's nutty if you tried to do that. <laughs> but my favorite ones are actually chocolate covered pretzels from them. Yeah, I feel that. Um. But I'm still not complaining. No, even like the ones that have like weird strawberries. Oh yeah, inside. they're still they're weird, but they're not wrong. They're not wrong. Um, like the other the off brand ones are wrong. Yeah, these ones are. Um, and then, but when we were in Mexico, oh. the the cacao there, yeah, that was good. Like we actually made our own chocolate. Yeah, with blood. Not with blood. That's how they used to do it. That's how they used to. We didn't make it with blood. They don't make it with blood anymore. I made mine with blood. (laughs) You can make yours with blood. When we were in Mexico, Jason thought he was being like super badass, and like we made, (laughs) we had um like 
Mole. Mole, yeah. Uh, so we made mole and put it on like a like a, a, a fresh taco <laughs> shell. And like a corn, you know, a corn taco shell that was brand new. But they also had habaneros <laughs> in this fuck. So the guy was like, put one drop. One drop. What do you think Jason did? Not one drop. And then he started hiccuping and coughing and sweating. Ah, <laughs> Drapos. I don't. I don't know drops in Spanish, but I know five to seven. <laughs> that was five or seven. Five to seven. Ah. Oh, I think so. Oh. But um, he yeah, it was several drops between five and seven so he starts sweating profusely he starts coughing and the then whole he... group is laughing at me <laughs> and then he hiccuped for like the next 15 <laughs> minutes which i don't know why but like jason hiccuping me hiccuping makes me irrationally angry <laughs> it does like whenever he hiccups around the house Stop I, it, I will like just stare at him and like say like are you gonna what get did you do? are you gonna get rid of them are you gonna get rid of those I don't know why it bothers me. Drink some water. It bothers me so much. Can't you just like swallow some water? I will literally like walk across the house to get him a glass of water for him to get rid of his. That should be my new call. That should be my new call. I'm thirsty. It's just so such an obnoxious hiccuping sound. Well, I'm sorry that I've disturbed you with my love it's just such a weird thing but i do get like a i know that it's irrational but i get so angry (laughs) (laughs) what's your favorite chocolate um uh well so i obviously love cyrus's so we're not gonna yeah cyrus is number one so we're not gonna go over that because same reasons yeah um but i love almond joys oh yeah i love almond joys oh yeah i remember I remember. All I hate the rest of those little peppermint patty things. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. It tastes a little bit like toothpaste, but. Yeah, that's why I don't like them. I hate the rest of them. That's why I don't like peppermint and chocolate together <laughs> so much. But Andy's candies are okay because they don't taste like toothpaste. Yeah, like your peppermint patties kind of taste a little bit yeah, like toothpaste. Yeah, I don't like them. <laughs> but I, I ate the rest of the bag. You remember, you remember Oreo cereal? No. So they had they had Oreos that were mixed. Oreos that were mixed with um, uh, like uh, Cheerios, basically. That it was basically an Oreo mixed, like the outside layer of the Oreo, the the fudge. Oh yeah, yeah, outside yeah. Outside layer, and. and it would all, all get caught in your teeth and everything. So when you went to brush your teeth, it was the nastiest mess ever. Because you'd have this chocolate mess. Because, oh. you know, you brush your teeth after you eat your cereal, right? So. No. I brush my teeth before I eat breakfast. What's the point of that? What's the point of ever brushing your teeth then? You're just going to eat again. Well, you might as well brush it after your first meal, because... Wouldn't your first meal taste like shit? No, it tastes fine, and then you just... Ew, you know, I, I cannot stand my mouth, like, when I first wake up. I can't stand your mouth, either. <laughs> I can't, like, don't Weird. they feel fuzzy when you wake up? It, 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 down there, bed. 
it's yeah but it it's uh it it's kind of like oh that 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 chocolate taste is like yeah yeah so my other favorite chocolate is probably like a twix because i I like that that chocolate and that, that like fudgy what about what about kit kats and I like Kit Kats. I like Kit Kats. But I, I'm kind of sad because I haven't tried, like, all the 150 flavors that they yeah. have. Like, if they had a sampler box. The mint one was really good. <laughs> well, I didn't know. So, um, did you know that Kit Kats are made from Crush Kit Kats? I told you that, and you didn't yes, believe me. I didn't believe you. Kit Catception. It's like the between the layers of wafer is Kit Kat. Yep. That's been grinded. No waste. Grinding. No waste, Kit Kats. Grinding. Grinding. Okay, well, I think we've done this long enough. Yeah, it's been a good time. So, um, I hope everybody enjoyed the Kurt Cobain story. Um, maybe I changed your mind on his suicide. Maybe. And by me, I mean... Maybe bleach. you have actualized yourself and reached Nirvana. <laughs> maybe I have. Well, next week is... The week before is like a couple of days before Christmas. Ding, fries are done. Ding, fries are done. Ding, fries are done. Um, and then for Christmas, we will be picking up my cousin and he will be our new roommate. Oh, we could have a third host. Sometimes. Sometimes. I feel like he's not going to do this every week. Yeah, he'll be the ball humbug. <laughs> but we'll have we'll have Nick on a couple of them. But yeah, we um we we got the place ready and he will be. Our new roommate come Christmas. Oh, boy. We're going to bring him back with us. Oh, boy. Bring him back a baby boy. <laughs> a big baby boy. He is 23. Big baby boy. So, um, yeah, we are soon to grow by one more. Oh, our family's going to grow up. Just start calling him Hans. Hans. <laughs> baby Hans struck his hair. He's like, you'll soon grow into quarterback. He is a very strong, large German strong man. Strong German man. <laughs> well, look, up, look up to him. I literally have to look up to him by like two inches. Look up. No, I think like, you guys are the same height. Uh, he's a little taller. Yeah? Yeah, by like an inch and a half. Yeah, he's seven years younger than you. <laughs> Yeah, but still, it he's doesn't a, matter. He's a tall boy. I'm taller than your dad, but your dad's a lot older than me. Yeah, but I mean, like, yeah. Well, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm just saying, you just said older. I don't And it's know. like age has a correlation to height. I'm tired. It's like, what? I'm sleepy. It's like, what? Well, okay, we're going to stop now. All right. <laughs> Okay, everybody, have a good night. Bye, have a good night. Or day, or whatever. Days. Bye. Bye.